Hi everybody, my name is John. And this is Melissa. And welcome to Unboxing Story, where we explore narrative from the fringes. We're going to talk about anti-heroes, but before then, I think I'm just going to have us both do an ad read, because we're going to talk about uh, a little bit about our heroes and what makes them heroes and what makes them anti. But we also have some events coming up that we should tell you about. Oh. October 20th, from 1 to 4 Eastern Standard Time. We will be live streaming our spooky game for the month. We are doing a game of Dread. If you have never seen Dread, the RPG, it is loads of fun. Instead of rolling dice for your character to do something, you have to pull bricks out of a tower of blocks and hope that it doesn't fall over. <laughs> um, that sounds so fun. I can't wait. It's going to be exciting. And then uh, for Extra Life this year, November 3rd, uh, we are planning a big event. Uh, we don't have all the details yet, but we will also be live streaming from there. Um, and anybody in the Jenkintown, Pennsylvania area can come join us for that. Um, so be watching for details on momtoast.com or on our Facebook page. Yes. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll be trying to train Melissa on Fortnite so that uh, we can try to do that because there is also some spooky stuff in the um, the current iteration of that. You can He's take these try. little purple. I, I'm not so great with modern <laughs> video games. <laughs> but we're we're gonna try to get to see if we can do a test with Shadow, which is like a cloud gaming thing, mm -hmm. to help beef up because the my PC. sad Mac laptop that does <laughs> not run anybody's game ever. Yeah. Uh, so that's exciting. And now on to the ads. So but when we take up these topics that are so broad, like anti-heroes, uh, we've decided, or I've decided, because I did the show notes today, that, that we should... He does the show notes every day. Don't let him, don't <laughs> let him sound like I ever do that much work, because I don't. <laughs> I'm a terrible person. Uh, I just let that sit. Um, <laughs> the anti-heroes... I'm your anti-hero for today. <laughs> Yeah, we, we've talked about how we have different circadian rhythms. And so uh, Melissa becomes... Mine died about an hour ago, uh, so... She becomes a living Punisher's war journal after <laughs> 9 o'clock at night. Wow. Maybe that would be a funny test to do if, if like, you drank uh, orange juice every day. Because my, I love orange juice. I start every morning with orange juice. You should start every morning with orange juice, and I'll start every morning with no, coffee. No, I should take my vitamins in the afternoon and see if it does something different. But yes, if I drink orange juice and you drink coffee, well, first you'd have to go through the caffeine withdrawal, and that would be terrifying for everybody. But after that... It would be like in um, Super Size Me. He eats some months of McDonald's, and then like he has to have kidney surgery. Right. Because he had only eaten... like Processed food. Whole, whole, but well, like he... His whole life, he ate very healthily. Oh, at least that's what he claims. And so, so it like totally threw. Yeah, it just off. completely threw him off. All right, so <laughs> hold that aside. Morgan Spurlock is not an antihero, but uh, I well maybe depending on your politics, it's debatable. Um, but we're going to start with literature because we're going to try to focus more on literature, considering we're both writers. Um, uh, Edmund Pevensey from. Well, I put Edmund Pevensey and Eustace because I think that the I think Eustace definitely starts as an antihero, right? And because they're they're kind of played differently in their personalities, yeah. And I think that that's to C.S. Lewis's strength that 
uh, I, I've complained a lot how how modern Christian movies, especially, are uh, really paint atheists with a broad brush or anti-theists. Yeah. And uh, Edmund uh, is just kind of like an opportunist, and yeah. he lies and uh, stuff like that. But Eustace is just kind of insufferable. Yes, but then it makes it that much better of a turn. And, right, and when they change. Personally, one of the biggest things I remember from Lord of the Rings series is when uh, he, uh, there's kind of this metaphor about green. He met Nardia, not uh, Lord of the Rings. Oh, sorry. For, you, I, don't, I don't think there's much conflict between those fandoms as no, much as like but, yeah. Trek and, and Star Wars no, or something. But uh, apologies to those of you who just like had a conniption. Um, <laughs> the... The scene where Aslan scrapes off his scales, he he becomes a dragon yeah. because he tries to take the skulls. Um, yeah, and but yeah, that um, is a beautiful scene. I like that one a lot too. It, it, as a way to portray Christ's work in someone's life, he hurts him by scraping off his scales. But when he does, he emerges from the skin of this dragon, um, and it's a really beautiful scene. Uh, so I think I think by virtue that makes him stick out in my memory, but there's not, they're both kind of written in a way that are believable. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think that um, they were both portrayed pretty well in the movies. Those are pretty good. Um, uh, Severus Snape, we, we were kind of just talking about. Also, we, you're going to talk about portrayals with Alan Rickman. You can't really go wrong. Yes. I, I've kind of been so reliving this. So sayings from Alan Rickman? Uh-huh. Someone asked him once why he always plays villains. Uh-huh. And his answer was, I don't play villains. I play interesting people. <laughs> yeah. Because of this, this whole anti-hero trope, the idea is that heroes got very cliched mm-hmm. and very samey, and they're all the noble dude, and they're, uh-huh. there's only so many ways you could show that. So you would you do an anti-hero. You play someone who is more interesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> Whether well, or not that's that, that kind of goes to my good. theory. There's this thing I, I, I keep talking about, but the whole idea of a person being complex when they are, when they skew more towards evil. Mm-hmm. And so some, some of those iterations, like I was saying with the Marvel movies, they're really good guys, but they just do kind of jerky stuff sometimes. Right. And, so I wouldn't count them really. And as so, and there are some who, like uh, Dresden comes up in this list. We'll, right. we'll go more into depth when I when it's on the actual list when I'm reading it. He, but um, he is very chivalrous. He um, does he, but he's just kind of snarky and he doesn't mind breaking bending the rules right. in order to get something done. So that that kind of goes to what makes me like Snape so much because I've been kind of reliving his thing through the strip cover lit channel because they're going through all the Harry Potter books and he's very pragmatic and that makes Adrian from that, that YouTube channel like him. And it's also why I like him a lot. Uh, he's probably my favorite character from that uh, series. Um, but he also, and it's something that makes him an interesting character because that's another thing. I think that one thing is that when, I come from the Marvel school of comics and one of their biggest things was having a character with one fatal flaw. So like Peter Parker, nice guy, funny, but he's such a fatalist and like 
guilt is what drives him to do stuff. So whenever people make fun of him, they're like, you know, I, I did it, Mary Jane. I defeated the thing, and he's like being crushed by, right. you know, uh, a huge monster or something. Um, so they all have kind of a fatal flaw. And his is he was in love with Harry Potter's mother, and so he hates the living crap out of Harry Potter because she reminds her, right. him, he reminds her. Um, yes. of, of her. And so it's an interesting thing because it's something that he has to overcome in order to do the right but thing. But I would like, I thought we were going to differentiate between. Heroes that have a flaw and anti-heroes. But yeah, but no, but that's what I, that's what I mean is yeah. that the I think that there's a classical thing that you're told in school of uh, it's a, somebody that moves the plot forward but doesn't always do the right thing. Yeah. But there's become these kind of um, these kind of different tropes and things that kind of muddy the waters because yeah. there's like he has kind of this character flaw, but also is pragmatic. Right. And so there's well, like him, I can see being more tropes within a hero. Although I might consider him almost more an antagonist because mm-hmm. he works against who the heroes are in that story, as mm-hmm. opposed to someone who is the main character or the protagonist in your story, but is not heroic. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's a good, that's a good distinction to make. Um, yeah. It's less, it's less that it's a classical description and more, it's a functional thing so that in you realize story. You know, you're not writing something wrong if your hero isn't doing the right thing all right. the time. You're choosing to write a, 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 a anti-hero, a yeah. non-heroic protagonist. We call him non-heroic. Yeah, <laughs> we're coming up with our own new term. Forget anti-hero; <laughs> they're just non-heroic. <laughs> um, another one is who's the same way: the protagonist or a protagonist who is um, pragmatic is uh, Katniss Everdeen, yes. um, who. I think that's one reason why I like hers because there have been um, more of those like kind of like, and we're going to go into schlock when I find a character that's particularly egregious, but that I, I would say that the, like the badass female um, assassin type thing right. is like going so far to make a strong female protagonist that you're like completely. It's very Mary Sue. Yeah. Um, but with her, what's interesting is that she, you know, loves her sister, wants to protect her family, has this, like, memory, this idealistic version of her father. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on with her psychology And I would almost actually, now that you bring it up, consider her an anti-hero because other than taking her sister's place, which was a very noble, heroic thing to do, Mm -hmm. the stuff that she does in the games, particularly with PETA, she does to survive. Right. Like, she's like, I don't care if this is heroic, I don't care if this is Mm -hmm. noble... I'm going to pretend to love this guy because it's what's going to get us through this thing. Right. So, yeah, so there's a lot of, yeah, so there, that's, it's a survivalist type character. It's not, she's very neutral in that way where like, and I think she, there's things projected onto her. becomes heroic like by the end. Right. But almost because she's forced into it. Yeah. It doesn't come from her own real desire to be the beacon of this movement. Right. It's very, you know, so she's, and so, because of that, you can see the flaws of both kind of campaigns. There's the pro- propaganda campaign based around her, and uh, and in the first book, it's mostly centered around, like you were saying, the romance between her and Peter, which garners favor from some uh, people in, their, in the Republic. Just, uh, I forget Whatever what it's it is. Called. It's not really a Republic. Pan Am. Pan yeah. Am. 
the the but there yeah there's a central city where all the kind of where the one percent live and so she's kind of playing to them with this romance storyline because Hamish told her that's how she's going to be able to survive because they can send them supplies the capital that's what they call the capital yeah so um yeah it's it that's I, I like that because it helps them helps uh, Suzanne Collins to draw from both um sides of the flight and show the flaws on both sides when you have a character that's more morally right. And one of my favorite things is that like she just kind of shoots somebody with an arrow in a in a Capitol building. Yeah. And it's one of the only like YA things that I've that I've experienced where somebody does something that's like kind of irredeemable, but because otherwise she would have gotten turned in and her and the people with her right, right, right. would have gotten found. And it's kind of the, how understated is is in the book. I, like after reading it, I kind of thought to myself, like, was I imagining that? Like, was yeah. it? No, I did, think she did, did that, that person do something? I think she did that on purpose, right? Because usually, because at usually, that point she's like, "This is it. This is what I yeah. have to do." Usually, what a writer would do is like have that person do something, like be like a sadistic, like kind of what happened in Darkest Minds. Like that person wasn't just a villain because they were trying. She, she, he was trying to get her to use her powers in a non-ethical way. It was like, oh, and I'm also a rapist. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, by the way, I'm creepy. You, so, and that's something that comes up in the, uh, this is largely drawn from the TV Tropes um, uh, website. Um, they have a anti-heroes uh, sub-wiki. Um, the acceptable targets thing uh. m- really changes, like, it brought up Inglorious Bastards. Right. You don't care because they're no, all Nazis. No, because they're Nazis. He's so, like, but like, Nazis but also that. something that Tarantino does is try to get you to, like, people reference this scene where there's all these Nazis watching a, um, some horrible snuff film or something in a theater, but then you're sitting there watching them get butchered. And the graphicness of the scene might force you to think like, well, what am I much better if yeah. I'm, if I'm getting watching pleasure this. watching yeah. these Nazis get get torn to pieces? Um, so here's kind of like I, I I don't even know if I would put this in the Sherlock category, but Parker is a uh, I think Richard Stark is the novelist that that wrote this character. I read a graphic novel adaptation that I know Darwin Cook drew. I believe he he must have adapted it fully. Um, I couldn't hate this character. This is, like, I didn't read the whole thing. Uh, I wanted to burn it. (laughs) Wow. Because it's a noir um, thing. I I believe he's, he's like, a kind of, like, con man, mercenary for hire type character. And uh, the way that women are written in that book is, like, I, I think one of them gets killed... I don't know if he kills her personally, but it's just kind of like there's something where like she he's gonna throw away the body and it's like he calls her trash or something. Like it's just it's the it's probably the worst example of writing women as just Object disposable. Like yeah. literally, there's something about them being disposable. I've I've largely blocked it out from my memory, <laughs> so I can't even like really wow. think about what what grossed me out about it. But um, and it's weird because Darwin Cook uh, who I believe passed away a few years ago, has like a very classic retro style. Mm-hmm. He did a Justice League um, origin story called New Frontiers, I think. 
that was very like squeaky clean and like um art deco and you know it's very kind of picturesque um so i i really wasn't thinking that i was going to get into that when i started reading it but uh yeah any of you who uh want to read something noir that but doesn't hate women. I think don't pick up the part. I think series. maybe we should have an episode about noir things at some point because I mm. think that meaning of what that is has changed over time. Right. I think I think we like more classic. I like classic noir because I was going to bring up actually a few examples. characters like, um, in Casablanca and uh, the Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. Humphrey Bogart's characters are very anti-hero. At least they start. Uh-huh. In Casablanca, he becomes a hero at the end. Uh-huh. But through most of it, he's not. And Maltese Falcon is another thing where it's like, he's really a jerk through most of that movie. (laughs) (laughs) But you love him anyway. And um, also in Stalag 17, Mm -hmm. the main guy in that is an anti-hero. There is nothing heroic about that guy. Uh He's a jerk, and he's a self-centered person, and he does what he does to get what he wants. Mm -hmm. And even at the end, like, he doesn't do any of that for anybody else. (laughs) Like, he doesn't care. Um, so I like the classic versions of them because they're still, I don't know, they're definitely not heroic. Mm-hmm. They're, they're kind of jerks, but, but there's still some kind of, I don't know what, I don't want to call it nobility about them. There's like some kind of, I guess maybe it's the pragmatism. It's like, there's a goal and we have to do this thing mm-hmm. and I don't care. Yeah. It, I think for, for certain happening. anti-heroes, it can come from. Like with Batman, he's super intelligent. Right. With um, somebody like Star Lord, he's really charismatic. Right. So like he kind of treats women like crap, but it's he the actor makes it a charming right. performance, and and you're and he's also kind of an underdog. So like there's a lot of different save the cat things that you can do. Right. Where there's like, ways that you can set up set it up around. And him. and it's it's something that I've become more aware of, considering the conversation about treating women uh, in a way that doesn't make them feel like trash. Um, Because there's different things that are acceptable in society. And I think having a character that, you know, he treats his mom great, but then he doesn't treat anybody else else great. Like there's different, I think there's certainly prejudices towards women like that show up in Parker that, you know, you might respect, but there's kind of a way to do it where it's not. Yeah, we'll we'll get more into that. I think. I think. Talk about let's let's get into that when we talk about Bond because he comes up later. Oh, fuck. <laughs> another one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's another thing I tried to watch all the old Bond movies. And that's that was hard. It's, it's interesting. Um. So uh, also from books, Doctor Faustus, which was oh just kind of fun. <laughs> it was a very odd thing because. You what like my experience with classical literature about the devil is like you know Paradise Lost, and then you get to Doctor Faustus where he's like playing with the Pope's hat because right. he's invisible or I don't that that that's kind of my memory of it because that's how it was kind of framed to me by the teacher was like um, when I was in medieval literature she was talking about like the it, it was it would kind of been subverting expectations a little bit to have the devil's ear and then all you ask for is to be to do these kind of little prank things things. um and so that that was kind of an interesting thing but that that has become a big 
thing, and and probably you could make the um, the uh, not assumption. You can make the assertion. Assertion. There you go. <laughs> that like Ghost Rider comes from that. Yeah. So this this idea that you make a deal with the devil and, and you get you duped, goofy things. and then there's some kind of curse yeah. that's put on you. A little plug for something that might come later. I'm reading through Abomination, and there's that very much that curse idea, idea. and there's kind of like fatal flaw uh, thing. That's, that's is um, Huckleberry that. Finn on your list? Oh no, he's not. But that's, that's a good one. That's a big one for me. Uh-huh. I was trying to remember ones that I had to read. So I, I ever, I ever read that one. We tend to get antiheroes in school a lot because mm-hmm. it's a thing you have to study. Uh-huh. You haven't read Huck Finn? No. So the main thing with that, and the, it's you know, obviously, Mark Twain was doing it on purpose. He was showing uh-huh. you the point of view of someone who was raised <laughs> with slavery and thought thinks. It's correct. Hmm. So he treats people terribly. He just black people terribly. Right. Because that's just what he knows. Mm-hmm. You still like the kid. He's he's just a kid, you right. know, and he's a lovable rascal kind of kid. Yeah. And he's clever and stuff, but you know, you know he's wrong. Uh-huh. <laughs> he's just like right. horrified watching it happen. I, I remember uh, there were a couple comedians that were like making fun of slash lamenting that they were going to strike that word from um, that in certain say was one that flares up every now and again yeah. it never, it never uh, at least as far as i know never gets to like a federal thing because um, it's, it's supposed to be in there you're supposed to be horrified that that's the way right. he talks about people like that's part of the yeah. story yeah but that's i mean that's something to to talk about with like when there are is a character who's politically incorrect and and even it gets beyond that to like or well, with, with these characters specifically, you're saying it kind of comes from this ignorance. Yeah. And so the comment that it's making is that you know this character, like, other than this ignorant side of him. Right. He acts nobly. Right. And that's, it's an interesting thing because I know Mark Twain comes from that kind of satire right. side of, of things. Um, and there, there are a couple, we'll get, we'll get to that too, where uh, when there's, when there's, uh, humor and, and something else at work that's making this character likable. Um, so uh, I'm going to let you rant about Edmund Dantes because I know uh, you love I the do. kind of Monte Cristo. I love a good revenge story. Uh-huh. And having revenge as the motivation of your protagonist is decidedly an anti-hero kind of thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Count of Monte Cristo is like, the most cold, calculating, evil version of revenge I have ever seen. Yeah, like, it's real good. the man... Okay, so obviously, he went through a lot of nonsense. Uh, if you haven't mm-hmm. read it, you totally need to read it. Or watch the movie, what, the Jim Caviezel version, because that one was okay. Yeah. It was not as good as the book, obviously, but yeah. whatever. <laughs> um, so the guy gets put away by all these guys who were pretending to be his friends and has stuck in, like, the worst prison ever for, like, seven years. Mm-hmm. And declares that he's going to get revenge and so like he works out every day and like he gets with his old priest who teaches him everything he knows and mm-hmm. like the priest tells him in his dying breath that he's got this massive treasure somewhere and here's how to find it so he comes back to France like a multi-billionaire so he's like the first Batman he's this multi-billionaire playboy guy who has this dark deep-seated I'm going to kill you all for what you did to me uh-huh. um, and he plans out everything so meticulously he's just like i am going to give every last one of them a chance to get out of this 
I am going to give them a choice. And if they have changed at all, mm. and when they make the right choice, then they'll be fine. Mm. And none of them do. Mm. None of them do. Right. Even if the woman that he had loved before, mm. it's not that she doesn't care about him, but he realizes like she's moved on and she loves her son more than she will ever love him again. Mm. So he's just like, forget it. Forget all of you. I'm going off and doing my own thing mm-hmm. after he gets rid of all of them. <laughs> it's just this, like, you are all horrifyingly right. awful people and you all get exactly what you deserve. Right. And yeah, and, and I know story. for a fact that because we we put down uh, revenge fantasy slash justice porn. Justice porn on our, all the way. <laughs> on our uh, list to do. Um, but I, you know, I, I also like, uh, I like the movie version. I, I didn't read the book. Um, but it is uh, that that idea of getting uh, all these, you know, all this treasure and all this opportunity, and then using it like to get revenge. Yeah, it's just very it's like, big I know male exactly fantasy. How I'm doing this. Oh, and the other thing. So I I was reading along and enjoying it because I'm just like, yeah, yeah, they all deserve it, and blah blah. And you're gonna get these guys back for being horrible people. There's a scene where. Um, it's the son of one of the guys he's going after who we actually friends because the son is actually half decent human being. And they go to a, uh, hanging, a public hanging. And the son is describing the Count of Monte Cristo's reaction to this hanging. And uh-huh. the, you want to talk about justice porn. He is excited by the fact that this guy is hanging for his sins. Like he is yep. all over it. And you're just right. like, there is something seriously wrong with you now, buddy. <laughs> like, uh-huh. I thought you were just maybe being cool and going, but no, you you snapped somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And I, that's like when you first start to realize, okay, this dude's uh-huh. off the deep end. Somewhere. It would be interesting to go back because I, as I was looking at, like, for example, they uh, talk about, like, Superman, and they say, well, back in the 50s, he would, like, push people off roofs and stuff. Like, oh, really? There's not, not that exact example, but, like, he would threaten. He would threaten. He would threaten to kill people oh. and things like that that you would never see him do nowadays. Yeah. Um, but I, I would like to see from some of these classical examples, like a critic talking about it, and to see what types of opinions they have about yeah, stuff like that. Because, that because like for example, you talked about with Sherlock. It's interesting because he's more of a not a pacifist, but he doesn't. And uh, if you go through the collection, I remember getting to the story where um, he's like, the, oh, do you have your gun, Watson? Or something yeah. like that. And it's like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, no, they don't play around. That's it's what Watson's like, for. Watson's the muscle. Yeah. So, yeah. Watson was in the army. Right. And he knows that. It's like, yeah, grab your gun. We're going to go. But yeah, that, that historical context, it's, it would be interesting to see what they talk about with heroes and if there's something that shocks them. Right. As opposed where you know, back then you would duel if some, you, somebody right. dishonored your right. <laughs> dishonor on you, dishonor well, on no, your I, cow. I'm pretty sure that at least that part because Victor right, but that, I not, think not exactly a sorry. lot of Spanish stuff is very satirical. Uh, it's not Spanish, it's French. Oh, it's French? Yes. Oh, I, I guess Jim Caviezel is so, like... Well, uh, they're, from, they're from a part of France that is almost Spain, like they're close. Oh, okay. So it's very mixed up down there. Right. But the the author. Yeah, it's confusing because I I I'm pretty sure Caviezel is. I think he's Italian. Oh. I thought he was Italian. Mediterranean people. I don't know. He's somewhere. Are confusing. <laughs> and then uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, 
Not um, John Leguizamo. I was getting confused. Oh, the guy that plays the the pirate dude. Yeah, yeah, he's... I love that guy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's Mexican. Yeah, but he's, yeah, he's not Mexican in the story. So no, <laughs> no. It's, um, so yeah, Spaniards are very satirical. The French, at least that era of France, was very. It's a very romanticized uh-huh. thing, and and Hugo's not subtle ever. Mm-hmm. Like he goes over pages. Like <laughs> you know, he's overdoing this on purpose. Right. So uh-huh. I I really think he was trying to make it that like dude snapped. And right, this is not but that's great. but that's different than like, and then the church canonized him. You know, like right. if society approves right. of it, right? No, Marius is horrified at it. Like he's freaking yeah. out. Like, ooh, I didn't know this guy was like this. There's a problem here. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe I shouldn't be friends with this dude. Right. Okay, so then uh, Dresden is put on here, but then in the TV tropes entry, it says, "But everybody in their fairy godmother knows that he's <laughs> not a, he's not anti anything." No. Because like he, it's what I was talking about with the whole my whole Omega Man theory is that he, the draw of him doesn't come from the more schlocky thing of, you know, bullets and babes and that's but fun. then he does the right thing. No, you know, no. <laughs> he's not really he's not really um, uh, uh he he doesn't he's not that smooth, especially not at the beginning. Yeah, he's kind of nerdy, but not. In, in a way that's um, effeminate or no, like, he's just he's just he's weird because he and he's always been weird because he could do magic, so he knows mm-hmm. he's weird, yeah, and he doesn't really fit in the way a schlocky kind of hero would. But yeah, it's kind of a, that Sherlock th- type of thing yeah. where he it his his commitment to what he does is why he's not scoring a bunch of women and yeah. you know like. It's not necessarily that he's uh, incapable, right. but he is capable in a very odd sense of the word. Um, and it's and it's he's not evil, but he trends towards bending the rules sometimes to get yeah, things done. To get things done. Um, he's so, more rogue like than antihero, I think. Uh huh. Yeah, because he's kind of, and he's also on the on the outskirts of society. Yeah, and. Um, I, I think the only thing keeping him from priest level <laughs> weirdness is that he doesn't wear leather. No. He just says he has that duster though. He has a du- is the duster leather. The oh maybe not the first one. He gets one eventually. Oh okay. <laughs> is he blessed by he gets that? he gets more schlocky the further he, he goes. Blessed by Trinity from the Matrix. He, he puts <laughs> he puts you know he he eventually gets a really cool coat. His, his Susan gets him one. Somebody, one of the girlfriends gets him one. Oh, okay. A really awesome coat. That's another thing I need to put down is uh, Melissa's love of metal, not metal, um, of leather clad. What's wrong with that? Heroes. I didn't say anything wrong. <laughs> Listen, I, Don't judge me. I sat down and watched uh, 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 not, uh, what was it? Not, uh, Underworld. Oh. <laughs> Evolution. Blood tooth. Which one did we watch? Five. I don't remember which one it was. It was the third one. Yeah. Uh, and Kate Beckinsale wears leather. So as long as both both genders are wearing leather, then that's fine. Yeah, that's the thing. Equal opportunity leather clad people. I love it. <sighs> um, so I read uh, Invisible Man at some point, either during middle school or high school. And it's just kind of dope because it's, it's a mad scientist who's just corners somebody in a room as the Invisible Man and says, 
Hey, you, before I kill you, let me explain me to you all the crazy story. stuff that I've done. <laughs> Don't you love it when mad scientists do that to you? And it's like, and that's kind of a cool, like, that was cool because it, that, that kind of, as opposed to Dracula, who has all these kind of story legends stuff behind it. Um, and uh, Frankenstein and Wolfman are more like tragic, at least the film versions are more tragic, uh, anti hero type. Um, Invisible Man is just kind of like, what if a psychopath could make <laughs> himself invisible? Cool. And it's also, that I, think, I think maybe like before he could turn invisible, he was kind of borderline. But then like once he could, he's just like, let's just go evil. Why not? Um, but that, that setup of like, there's the first kind of quarter of the book is there's something weird about this guy in this in the hotel that I'm staying in. And then he finally like the ruse is done. Like he catches him without being able to see him. <laughs> and so he sits down and tells him this whole thing. But like you get the idea from the very beginning that he's not a normal person. Right. Um and uh you had mentioned Dr. Jekyll Jekyll Mr. Hyde. Mr. Hyde. Yeah. Um which get uh, a lot of people get put in Alan Moore's um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen that I think all came around at the same time. And that kind of was a big era of thing. We have that, Captain Nemo. Yeah. In the oh, I forgot Man. about Nemo. That's a good one, too. Uh, well, the, I read I, the book, I think, is garbage. But the, what? I love the book. There. Okay. Here's For those who haven't read this, the first 60% of the book is here's a fish. Let me name every Latin word that I know that it could possibly relate to this. I, I have a feeling this is one of those serialized fiction problems. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they were going for word count because they got paid by the word <laughs> kind of things. But once you get past the initial, I'm a scientist and I'm going to show you how smart I am. Nonsense. Uh-huh. When you get to Nemo, Nemo is one of my favorite. Yeah, I, I will ever. say he's not. I'm not going to say that he's a crap character. But I would have liked more. Although of I guess I don't know. Do him. you not consider him more straight villain, hmm. or do you consider him an antihero? Well, I think the the thing is that he's not necessarily. Uh, he's not necessarily the antagonist because it's not like the scientists are there to stop him or something. Yeah, that that's what I would say is that he's they kind not... of stumble across him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's awesome. Yeah, really I, I even in the even if you just want to go watch the old Disney version, which honestly is one of my favorite versions of that. I don't yeah, know why. I should see that is Captain Nemo because they even had him play him again in like whatever the second oh, really? the sequel is. <laughs> There's another book story that oh is it is in. he in Journey to the Mysterious Island? Yes. Okay, and they have the same actor come and play him because he is Nemo right. to a lot of people. Like that's just him. Well, He's so great. what I should do is that I should read that because probably what happened. Is that like, uh, you know, sh- like Sherlock being brought back? Oh yeah, yeah. There should, like no. I would assume Nemo that like the sequel might be like people really like Nemo a lot more than the stupid scientist guy. Yeah, that's whatever that with dumb fish. French dude was. <laughs> so I don't let's remember just his name. Yeah, it, it's just like he's talking about that, and then there's I don't even a, remember him in the movie. Like I remember his assistant, who's played by Peter Lorre, uh-huh. and the crazy sailor dude, who's Kirk Douglas, and Nemo, whose name I don't know, the actor. I just call him Nemo because uh-huh. that's who he is. And but I have no. And idea I remember there's this, this thing about stories. like, and then I found out that he was a fellow countryman. Like he was, like they, he finds out that he's also French. 
and oh, then I it's like it was supposed to be like Polish or something. But it was framed. It it seemed like it's it was weird. framed to it's be like, like this. Like uh, he's French. Like he's like how dare? What do I care? I don't know, like really, dude. You're great. Anyway, what was the other one before we got into that one? Oh, um, so we're t- the Invisible oh, Man, Jekyll and Hyde. Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. Um, I'm still not sure because technically that counts as two different people. Yeah, we we discussed is- this because of um. The, uh, also, I'm gonna I'm gonna name this episode. Anti-hero primer, nay venom, because this was going to be a venom episode. Yeah, and I didn't want to go see it. <laughs> Neither of us really, when we sat down and talked about it, wanted to see it. Um, but uh, that kind of trope of this person is, is infected by something. It's like doing, yeah. There's this. There's that broad strokes thing of this inner turmoil, and it's it happens a lot in comics. Yeah. Um. Which, which I think we're about to... Break into uh, the comic section? Yeah. Uh, oh, before that, um, do you know Ambrose Bresmere from D&D? For what? It's, it's a D&D character. Ambrose... In some, some version of the war. I do not know that one. There are a lot of people in D&D. <laughs> okay. I, I was but just I could bring up Dritzt, because I've heard of Dritzt, and he might be an anti-hero. I don't know very much about him, but he is a dark elf. Oh. Like hey, he's a dark elf that like comes up elf. and does awesome stuff. No. But because he's a dark elf, most dark elves are supposed to be evil, mm. wicked creatures. So I don't know if it's necessarily played as a everybody assumes I'm evil, but I'm not. Or if I really am kind of tricksy, but I'll get this job done kind of thing. Oh, okay. But he's got whole books named after him. Oh, man. Legend of Dritz. I, I'm, st- I'm still in D&D new. Yeah, so. I'm still educating him. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but with with comics, there's so, there's a lot of conflicted nerds out there that were working through a lot of stuff um, <laughs> because uh, Batman, even from his inception, was much darker than oh, yeah, yeah. than a lot of the other characters. Um, the the idea of him, a lot of his stuff coming from revenge, the reason why he does what he does, um, and then his. Uh, what has become kind of the paradigm between him and Superman is that he he wants bad guys to fear him, and Superman, since he can do anything, tries as much as he can to get people to reform. Right. And um, Batman in his movie and some iterations have been more violent than others, um, but it's an interesting character because of that kind of, um, he's, oh, another thing that came up in the TV tropes things is the, the, um, I forget what it was called. I know Badass was in it somewhere, but it was (laughs) the idea that, uh, uh, like the Punisher, Uh when you're, uh, when you're a human character in a world full of gods and superheroes and mutants and what have you, being able to keep up with those things makes that character even more. Re- they respect him more right, because right, it's right. like because it's like you're just a human, but you can do all this crazy crap. Right. Um, and then I guess technically, Iron Man also falls in that kind of because he made his suit, uh, yeah, and yeah. a lot of uh, and not many other characters create their power. Right. Um, and he, uh, I haven't read many of his comics, but the um, the. Uh, <clears throat> What do you call it? This suit. Lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh yeah, the in in the movies, 
they do the whole thing of he used to be a weapons right. manufacturer and he had this change of heart thing. Yeah. Um, the I put kind of Punisher and Wolverine in the same category because um, Wolverine has this, in the comics, this thing he calls the Berserker Rage. And it's this kind of idea that he has this inherent animalistic side mm-hmm. that you, it's not really said that blatantly in the movies, but it's this idea that like, he's trying to keep it in yeah, <laughs> and control it. Let him go. And then uh, a lot of the, um, I think it was John Byron in the comics. Um, there's a period which it's either Byron or Chris Claremont because they were big X-Men writers in the 80s. Um, someone took him to Japan and there was this whole thing of using martial arts as a way to control that side of himself. Uh, and that spawned a lot of kind of villains and stuff. And it's, I think it was the basis for the, the Wolverine, which is uh, which was sad. in between the movie, in between the X-Men Origins and um, Days of Future Past and Logan. Well, in the oh, Wolf, yeah, yeah. there's kind of like a separate Wolverine franchise, oh, okay. and it was in between those two. Um, I liked Logan a lot. Yeah, that that's, I think that shows him much more as a, like a typical antihero than because he's like, I don't want to do any of this. We've done with this stuff. I don't, right? I'm, I, you know, and I'm I'm. My power is waning because the adamantium they stuck in me is killing me. So, uh-huh. but I can't die right away. So this right. is absolute and torture. Like it's, it's it's interesting because the the comics much more deal with this inherent inner conflict than in the movies. It just like he and and the, this is the same in both. But uh, the level of suffering that that character goes through is different, is much different than other characters. He has such a big backstory that he has all this baggage. And so that leads to more of a, another trope with anti-heroes of this, like, listen, I've been through all this crap. I don't know if I want to deal with your problems (laughs) because I have enough of my own type thing. Um, But the Punisher in the recent TV show um, is much more of like a revenge story um and well it's it's interesting because the uh because the comics have been continuous it's kind of like with batman where it stems from the death of his family due to crime um and he has unlike batman he had the martial arts training with him it's more of the military and then they dealt with like ptsd and that's big in the show um but the uh the general thing with him and Wolverine is that as opposed to other heroes, they kill um, in order to get their objective much more often than with other characters. Yeah. I was, I I should have been more prepared for it. When I watched Logan, I was like, Oh yeah, this is R rated. They can actually show you his claws going through people's faces. Yeah. And And they like, Oh, they definitely take that opportunity. A lot more terrifying than I thought it would be. Uh But many of the, and it, I, I guess it's just because of how, fantastical they can do it in print to where it's not as visceral yeah but um a lot of the fans of him specifically were talking about how like we want an r-rated right version of this because once they want it to be as intimidating as the character is and it was it was intimidating on two levels a there was that b there was the let's take xavier's power to 
the profiteering. That's one of my ending, favorite things for that which movie. Which was yeah. like, yeah, so what happens when a telepath starts getting Alzheimer's? Yeah. Nobody that, really wants to know these things. <laughs> it's an interesting angle that they take there. Um, next one's fun. What? It's Deadpool. Oh, God. I don't think he counts as an anti-hero. Well, you've, you've seen the movie version of him. Yes. There have been... So it stems from the Maybe 90s. Maybe in the comics. This is true. The comic version of him is so, probably... So what I'll say is that the 90s had a couple... Of, and I'll put Venom in this category, too. And here, here I will talk about Shalak. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. There are a lot of bro-y 90s, uh, late 80s, early 90s um, characters such as Deadpool, Venom, um, Cable and him were kind of in the same category. They, they, Bishop is almost like, uh, like almost exactly like Cable. Um, and he just has big guns and yeah, that's his character. So, so the uh, I I um, it's it's interesting because I think that there are things where if like in like say um the oh I need your help with the uh. They we're about to lose power from our main console. Oh dear. Um, but the the I what's that? The super troopers. Here we super go. Super troopers. What? The idea in that. Uh, okay, that was the table below our console. No, don't tell them that. It's our it's our backup generator, <laughs> powering up. It's our electronic uh, horse that. <laughs> It's the gerbils in the wheel that we need to make. <laughs> start running again so we don't yeah. die. Okay. Um, so the uh, is oh starship troopers. That's what I'm trying yes. to think of. The whole point of that, the violence in that, is to try to get you to be sick of the war going yes. on, right? So there's things that glorify violence, and then there's things that I think have violence but try to comment well, yeah, on the violence. Yes. Um. And so I feel like there are runs of Punisher and uh, even of Deadpool, like because there's Deadpool kills the Marvel universe. Yes, which I need that's to read That's kind of, one of these a funny thing, and you can do satirical yeah. things with that. Um, and so, like, I'll say that 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 the charm of the character kind of is what helps you to either accept or not accept the things. Like, I love the Punisher movie. Which is very much just a revenge thing. Um, I like the show, which takes a more serious, gritty thing of these are soldiers dealing with PTSD. The the worst of which is Punisher, but then like it contrasts with him and this other character who tries to blow up buildings, and he, he rants at this child, and he says like, you know why I use a knife? I'm not a coward, like that kind of thing. So it's like showed the difference between a suicide bomber right. and somebody that goes in to try to protect people. And right. if he has to shoot somebody, he's going to do it because they're not going to get hurt. Like that kind of thing. Okay. So um, then, then we're on the level now of like the equalizer mm -hmm. with the, in the movies. Right. It, it shows realistic, brutal violence right. and it, and it could verge on kind of like justice porn, right. but he's not, it's not trying to show you that he's like, happy about it or like doing one-liners right. and stuff. It's not cartoony. It's just systematically him intelligently doing a war strategy against these right. bad and guys. These guys who deserve to die. Yeah. You know, because um, that happens. But like people, there was controversy because of all the 
mass shootings that have been happening right. about something like the new, um, the new Bruce Willis. Um, oh, the Death Wish one. Death Wish movie. Yeah. And so, that, and we were debating about is this satire because of like there's the scene about there where, are scenes how easy it is to get a gun and, and stuff like that, um, and how because there it, I've been kind of annoyed with uh, the kind of. Um, uh, people being kind of snooty about how intelligent a movie has to be yeah. in order to satisfy them. Right. And it's like, it's kind of straightforward if he goes in there and there's this like, you know, blonde bimbo that's like, how can I help you? So, like, yeah. there's let me get you a gun. Yeah. Like it, I, 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 I don't know how highbrow you're, hyper-violent thing has to be in order to please you. Right. Um, so, uh, but it's um, something that I think that with a character like Deadpool, um, he just kind of kind of has to be funny. <laughs> There's not really much that, like, and it, it, literally with his character, that's all it needs to be right. with me. Because I think they just needed, they wanted something... Something that could break the fourth wall, something that could mock their own um, tropes, yeah. and I, and so I think like it's, it's, now with PC culture, it's acceptable to us as readers. Yeah, I don't know if we would have liked '90s Deadpool, maybe because not. He, he, I think, um, what happened was he was a parody of Slade from okay. the DC universe. Uh -huh. You haven't seen him yet, no. but they're trying to make him a Batman villain, so you might see him soon. Uh -huh. Um, there was a joke actually in the Teen Titans Go trailer about him. where somebody actually calls him Deadpool. Because, oh, that guy. Yeah. 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 There yeah. you go. <laughs> okay. So yeah, so he was a parody of him. Okay. So it was just him, but funny, and so they were trying to kind of poke fun at hyperviolence with even though they certainly didn't change that for a number of years on their lineup. Um, but yeah, he's. I think as long as the jokes land, it he because of how. Um, you know, uh, heightened, realistic. His stuff is. It's not anything like our world, so it's a little right. easier to, you know, um, stomach the the stuff that happens in it. Um, I put Rick Grimes on here because I'm I'm a fan of The Walking Dead, and um, I think recently it's just gotten more on the really bleak side, to where like. There's another five characters that died. I don't know <laughs> if I can keep doing this. Um, but I think that the early on, what I appreciated about uh, his character was that it was somebody who, because he was a sheriff, is kind of forced into the leadership role. And then kind of realistically, they showed how, like, he had to be more humble as a character. And, and like, he made some pretty big major mistakes and... Um, there's there's different things that he goes through, and he realizes like I can't make all the decisions here, and I have to be more pragmatic and, um, you know, uh, let, let, not let my pride blind me to how much of a monster this society and make like the comic as as far as the comic goes. That's really what the whole book is about. Is not it's not about how gross and disgusting can we make the zombies it's how many situations can we put this group of people in because zombies are in this world and show the different ways that humanity breaks down mm -hmm. uh, when there's this big zombie apocalypse so 
Um, and another cool thing is that, even though it's kind of morbid, <laughs> but he loses an arm. And so it's also kind of interesting to have a main character who, right, who is, is disabled. disabled. Um, and uh, that's a, a contributing factor to him not being that, that alpha male. Like he's just kind of somebody that now is your, um, almost like the great Gatsby. Like it's from oh, okay. his perspective. Right, right. Um, but he's just kind of witnessing this world happen. Um, and then I would say his son uh, is starts to have tendencies toward sociopathy. Mm-hmm. And it's showing you how he's trying to make sure that his son can somehow have a normal, some semblance of a normal life, even though the stuff is yeah. bringing everybody down. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so I think that, that's dude, most of that. You didn't put the dude from Breaking Bad on there? Oh, well, we so now we're going to get to film and TV. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I, I monopolized that because it was a comic section. Yes. Um, but you mentioned Dexter. Which, yes. Uh, uh, our mother was like a major fan of it, turned me on to it, uh, and I thought it was really well done. Yeah. Anything that can get you to sympathize with a serial killer is very, very well written. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was definitely the, it was, that was definitely, I think, just as important as well, because mm-hmm. the only way they could make you like Dexter was to put worse people on there for him to kill. Right. So you end up with. I kind of like Dexter. He's, he's honorable. I mean, he's doing terrible things. But, you know, you're inside of his head for most of it. And he's a pretty funny right. character, really. And you see his sociopathy in there, but it's amusing. Uh, and but, and unlike, um, I would say, like Breaking Bad and, and more of the what started that kind of, they call it the difficult men era of television. Because <laughs> there was that, there was Mad Men. Oh, yeah, yeah, There's yeah. a lot of stuff that was just, uh, it's a it's a white dude, and he's evil, but we love him. <laughs> um, the the Sopranos kind of really oh, started yeah. that. And so the, the interesting thing is that rather than just have it be, impre- like, rather than masking it behind the character's charisma or intelligence or yeah, something, no, just he like, is no, really dealing villain. with he's got this horrible thing his own psycho- psychopathy, yeah. like, a character, uh, a mentor comes to him and says, I know that you're a psychopath. I'm going to help you to use this in such a way right. that you will only be harming horrible people. Right. So he's got rules. Person has to be guilty. Don't get caught. Like he's got rules. Yeah. And. Oh, yeah. and that's another big thing about uh, Wolverine is that there's what comes from that uh, martial arts training is that he has a code. Oh, okay. And I know there's a lot of write in the the writing within it talks about I have this code, I only do this if this happens right. and stuff like that. Um, so I guess that's still part of the the appeal of being able to follow an antihero because it's very difficult, I would imagine, to write one, mm-hmm. write a like I can't imagine trying to write a serial killer and make them appealing, like to make them the hero, right? As opposed to making them the person you're hunting down. Mm-hmm. But in Dexter, he really is. He's the person you're rooting for in yeah. that whole thing. You're like, and it, and it, the whole reason I started watching it was there was a character in that season that I wanted to watch him kill. Like, that's literally mm-hmm. why I watched that whole season. I was right. like, she is going to die, and I want to see him do it. <laughs> yeah, the, the the crazy girlfriend season of that show oh, was man. particularly uh, interesting. Um, so uh, uh, along the lines of uh, of, of, of that kind of uh, white main character who we've excused as violence, Bond is somebody who, in the recent iterations, 
and attempts to explain why he would why he was the way he was. treat women as disposable and um, just gun down people just because he's, he's on the Majesty's Secret Service. Um, but yeah, I tried to watch the earlier ones. There's a lot of just like, like if you don't know what misogyny is, if you have doubts, <laughs> yeah. maybe you can watch some just of the older the ones. Things. Um, and then, uh, but the I think of the the recent like hash of reboots, the Dark Knight and the the new Daniel Craig Bond movies are among my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, just by how they contextualize this kind of classic hero in a new way right. for the audience uh, is really uh, breathtaking to me. Um, the both I think trilogies maybe more than um, the what do you call it. I, I I don't think Quantum of Solace is nearly as bad as people say it is. I, people I get didn't a lot even of know what was going it. on in that movie. I need to watch it again because I really literally no. All, all I know is there was something to do with water underground. I actually that's remember. That's one of the few to- like one of the few like sixties, seventies, eighties movies. I remember Dad watching some of the old Bond movies and not having a blessed clue what matter what going yeah, well, on. Like, what but the then plot? but then realizing like, wait. I don't think I'm supposed to. Yeah, no, it doesn't even matter. I think it's just in the old ones. It's just he's guys like, being dudes, kicking butt, and that's it. But that one, there wasn't even enough of him kicking butt in that one for me. Like, uh-huh. I, I just, I have no idea. Well, it, it was a, it was also a lot about the the woman that he right, but I didn't is. get that either. Like, I literally got nothing out of that movie at all. Okay, well, we know how those it feels, but <laughs> um, <laughs> just well, being honest, the, right? <laughs> She's she's being post nine o'clock, Michelle. Yes, post nine o'clock, me. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, one one that I saw it's called In Bruges. It's an interesting movie. Um, I forget who the director is, but he's done a couple with Brendan Gleeson. Um, so, uh, it's Colin Farrell mm-hmm. as plays Ray, and Ken, by Brend- Brendan Gleeson, who are two hitmen who botch a job where they're supposed to kill this priest and Colin Farrell shoots the priest, but then there's a child behind him who was, was in confession and he shoots him too. And so he's like just completely depressed. And, um, the, they go to Bruges to kind of like lay low. And, uh, it's a very like dark comedy because, uh, because he botched the job, the uh, Ray Fines plays their boss, and he curses like a sailor. Um, but he tells Brendan Gleeson's character to shoot Ray, and when he goes to try to shoot him, Ray is about to shoot himself, and so he stops and it's like, "No, don't do it." <laughs> and what's very interesting is that even aside from the fact that they both are him men, Ray is just a horrible character. He's like a misogynist and there's this dwarf in the movie that he keeps making fun of and stuff. But the humor of the thing like keeps you liking both of the characters. And he has this arc through it of like trying to be trying to find some hope. And they're both it's supposed to be like a path of redemption for both of them. Um and it's there are some really beautiful moments in it, even though it's very dark and um, funny. Uh, so that's one to put on the list. Yes. 
Um, the next one I have on here is I put Captain Jack Sparrow and Mal Reynolds on the same uh, um, category because they're both neutral ca uh, captains. So they're both basically like chaotic good. I, I wouldn't say that they're yeah, I don't think they're, they're anti heroes. Um, necessarily anti heroes, but the um, the the because the Mal Reynolds especially is more like power to the people rebel kind of dude. He's not. Mm -hmm. You know, a villain. he's not being villainous. He's not even only being pragmatic. He's fairly noble from fairly early on. Mm -hmm. um, who's the other one? Captain Jack Sparrow. Captain Jack Sparrow. Captain Jack Sparrow is complicated. <laughs> well, yeah, I I think he uh, got pretty cartoonish in, yeah. in some of the later ones. Um, I think early early on, you the the mystery of his character made it more that you were like, what is up with this guy? Yeah, it's like, what? I know a, a number of people whose first reaction was like, wait, who is, it's the, like, is, he, is he drunk? drunk? All the time? I mean, they, they reference it in, in the, the yeah. I don't know like, if that was, I don't know if that was part of the script before they, before Johnny Depp, but, before Johnny you know. Depp, but, or no, I, I, that's not a joke for, because somebody said, is he drunk? Is he gay? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that wasn't in the Disney movie, but, um, it's it's uh, his well, they performance. Or the blue masks at some point. Is that why he's always, you know? <laughs> right. So they do talk about him being weird, right? But I don't think he's an anti-hero either, really. So much as he's, because he's not really the hero of most of those movies. Mm -hmm. There's always somebody else that's actually the hero, and he's like. And I think that the I don't know what he is. I think the epic nature of the first films makes it more. Like, because the stakes are so high. Yeah. When there is some kind of double cross, you're thinking, like, it's more of an emotional pull when right. he does something. But then, um, I think in the second one, he sacrifices himself. Yeah. Uh, or at least it looks like he does. Yes. Um, and somehow manages to beat the Kraken. Oh, right. Because he makes a deal with Davy Jones. Yes, no? Right. Okay. <laughs> so, the, that, that, I think, is more emotional, emotionally pulling. And when he has these kind of like off, off canon adventures, not main saga adventures, yeah. because they're just kind of creating a cast around him as a character. Right. Um, so uh, it, he's an interesting case. Um, and I'm not quite sure what to call him. Yeah. I mean, yes, he is chaotic. But I, I kind in my in my mind to to save myself time and from watching hundreds of movies. I put him in the category of Disney anti-hero kind of Disney, okay. which is what I'm thinking a lot of the Marvel things are. Oh, okay. That just kind of survive on their char charisma and stuff. Um, but uh, I think the universe of, of Serenity and Firefly is uh, interesting because, like you're saying, they're ex um, patriots of this larger right, war, larger war and, it's and um, there are a lot of more like Ray and, and you know, they're mercenaries. Um, but they, they do err on the side of good when they can. Yeah. Um, not Jane. Jane, I would consider an antihero. Oh, so what they put in the but TV tropes thing is what, and I kind of agree with this is the comedic psychopathic sidekick or something. <laughs> and it, 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 
Deadpool is kind of flirted with that when he appears in other people's yeah. comics. No, actually, that's what I would count Captain Jack as, too. He's the crazy comedic sidekick. Right. Because he's not the main... I mean, in the later ones, yes. But right. in the main original things, he's not really the main character. Yeah, it's played more for laughs. Yeah. That it's not as if, like, the dramatic weight Tension of the story revolves around, him. revolves around him. Yeah. It does not the the last one, which I liked. Mm-hmm. But I would argue he was not very anti-heroish in the very final one. He was being very noble in the last mm. one. Right. With the mermaids. Because mm. mermaids rock, yo. Oh, wait. I think that's the fourth. Anyway. Yes. Um, the I, I'm not even going to get into Game of Thrones because there's... I can't know. Everybody that's, is more like not, right that. There is no... Um, yeah. I think that my favorite one, though, is is the Hound. Because of when he's when he's with uh, yeah. uh, Arya, um, that and that that's but that's kind of reminds me of the whole Wolverine trope where there have been numerous young female characters right. that he's played like a father figure to. Um, that whole turn was was interesting. Um, I screw Jamie. I don't anybody telling me that he's a hero now. Eh, no, and I think there's I think the Tyrion I, maybe. Uh, yeah, that, so I, I meant uh, on the list officially, Jamie, Tyrion, Daenerys, and the Hound. Um, but I thought Daen- Daenerys does a lot you of just, crazy You like stuff. justice porn. I do. You that's, just that defend it Daenerys because... Daenerys is for. It's like, I have all the power, and I would just kill all the bad guys, because I can. Huh. So there. <laughs> that's what this, that is. This is why we're not talking about it. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I like Boromir in the movies. In the uh-huh. Lord of the Rings and movies, I think that they do that arc. Uh, it comes across in the movies more than it does in the book for me. Um, and and uh, Gollum, I think, in the text and on screen, is a very yeah. interesting yeah, yeah. character. Um, and yeah, that the archetypal thing of the the um, former glory of Gondor that I want to return to. And that's why I'm going right. to harass Maybe, this hobbit yeah. a little bit. Steal this poor little creature's <laughs> yeah. thing. Um, but then, you know, being, looking at Aragorn's eyes and being like, you know, I can't, like, no, I know I can't talk about it. No. <laughs> um, and, and the way that, uh, that, oh, I can't remember his name. The guy that played Colin. Um, oh, Andy Serkis. Andy's name. Thank you. Uh, the way that he played him. Yeah. Has immortalized him yes, now. Completely. Like if anybody would have forgotten about Tolkien's no, uh, will never do it years now. of slaving over this story, this story uh, you know that's going to help help people remember that. Um, oh, so let, let's rant about *Pride uh, and Prejudice* and zombies and Abraham Lincoln Van Meyer. For, for my for my money, the fact that Abraham Lincoln was a real dude and did and was such a genius. As, as in addition to also sacrificing so much for our country and the fact that somebody can take his life story and being like, he fought racist vampires is like, screw you, like, buddy. What? Don't take this. Th- but now talk about why the Pride and Prejudice uh, initially, if not internally, uh, <laughs> irked you. Well, uh, so like, like, I appreciated what they were trying to do you know, I don't want to uh, say that I don't understand what they were it, going. It forward. was far better a movie than it than it, was it, than it, it, than it should, should have, been. have been. Like I understand they were trying to translate the social 
fighting as actual fighting, which uh, I think they did a good job. They, like, they, the yeah, like they could have, I guess the author, I'm assuming somebody really liked the book right? and made it into a movie. And actually, cause they tried. It and could, it like could said, have just been femme fatale. One of the better Mr. Collins is that I like that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But yes, it could have just been, we could would have, have seen women in, in corsets fighting. Yeah. Which is pretty sure is what the Three Musketeers was. <laughs> the steampunk Three Musketeers one. I should put that. <laughs> Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. No. And Three Musketeers. The 2015. Yeah. Was... The only good stuff about that was Orlando Bloom and what's his name? The clothing competition thing that they had going on. That was a riot and a half. Yeah. The rest of it, I'm just like, why are we watching this? I don't understand. That, that would make a good hate watch double feature then. Yes. But, um, so... A, why? Why? Why do you need to put zombies in the story? I really don't. And it's not, it's never <laughs> been about... You're not wrong. Like, they keep trying to do this. Even the other, the, the new um, Kira Knightley one. Mm-hmm. They they show too much emotion. Mm-hmm. Right? Especially Darcy. Shows too much emotion. Like, in the social scenes, the whole point of those stories is you can't read the other person. They are not wearing their hearts on their sleeves. Right. The whole point of Pride and Prejudice in particular is that Bingley is all over Jane. Like, everybody at that party knows Bingley likes Jane. And it's freaking people out. And Jane is doing her dead-level best not to look like an idiot like her sisters, who throw mm-hmm. themselves at everybody. Right. And so her and Lizzie are trying to be demure, controlled ladies like they're supposed to be. And so it's easy for Darcy to tell Bingley, like, well, Jane doesn't like you. I mean, has she ever even, like flirted at all like that's this that's part of the whole thing mm-hmm. so the idea of like trying to show some kind of like deeply buried just about to explode out passion between lizzie and darcy is like weird like mm. why that's not how this is like if you like i have to make my brother at some point watch the long a and e version with colin firth and and jennifer oh, Alley. oh because pearl. <laughs> because He's, it's the only way I've ever seen Darcy portrayed co- correctly. Yeah. Like through the whole first half of that, you get nothing from that guy. Yeah. Like except for the fact that he hates his sister with passion, and like everybody bores him. That's like literally all you think of him through the whole first half. Yeah. And then he goes and talks to Lizzie and says, "You don't understand. I've been in love with you this whole time." And Lizzie's just like, "What <laughs> are you talking about? You hate me. You hate my family." Why are you talking to me? Yeah, and in the in the Pride and Prejudice zombies, they play it more like he's it's like a this snooty... instantaneous thing. All right. Yeah, that like he 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 portrays emotion, and because he's antagonistic, it's more like right. a surprise rather right. than he's being stoic. He's just being stoic because he is the rich guy, and he is so sick of girls just like trying to get him to marry them because he's yeah. the rich guy. Like he's done with this. Right. And then then it kicks off this whole oh, but. He's not what I thought he was because she's going strictly off of the other guy who was showing a lot more emotion, but he was doing it to be tricky. Wickham, who is like Mm -hmm. deceiving everybody. Right. And she starts to realize the truth about things. And she's like, oh, he's not this horrible person I thought he was. But now he hates me even more because I just told him off. And then it kicks into the weird emotional repression prop part but for a reason it's not just this instantaneous like they do in a lot of american movies which is why it bugs me because there's all these americans trying to do this mm-hmm. it's this like all about physical passion that they can't do anything about thing and that's not the point of the story yeah yeah and, and don't get me wrong by saying that it's not just fan service 
it's fan service and actual work to make the right. plot reflect so like, like, what the book does. And they do. They do so, a decent job of, especially like when she's fighting with the sisters about mm-hmm. things and they're doing it more as physical combat. Like oh. it makes sense. Like it's showing actual stuff like the book would have done mm. just in a very different context. Right. Okay, fine. Mm. But still totally not necessary. But yeah, that, that but that's what I mean is that it's schlocky and fan servicey and that like they are put they watch you show them wearing corsets like putting right. on corsets and hiking up their skirts to put a <laughs> knife in and, and stuff like that. But it does it does work to try to make it a a what do you call it um for a general audience right and there is actually a story to it like it's not just that that flies in the face of what the source except material. now I feel like I need to read the yes. books because I feel like the book would be better because they mm-hmm. usually are so maybe it would be I don't know and then the other one is that they have now done Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters which considering I don't have the attachment to Sense and Sensibility the book you know, anyway uh, an- another fun it might be fun to read a, a fun experiment would be to discuss what both of us think are a bad adaptation because yes. I, I, I don't want to sound snooty, but like I, I took a couple film courses and I, I've, I've heard, I've been influenced a lot by what film critics say. And you're talking about what, like, like for example, in a podcast I listened to recently about Venom, one of the, a fan of the original material um, was just saying offhand because it's what comic fans say. Um, like this, because you're not having Spider-Man in this, you're not honoring the material by doing a Venom standalone thing and having him have his own origin. But somebody uh, that was not a Venom fan, was not a comic reader, was just kind of picking at him and saying, but why? It's a movie version. Nobody cares yeah. what the original thing is like. But it's an interesting thing because I feel like what, from what you're saying, you might have some basic storytelling elements that literature does that the movies don't. That no, but that could you could make a case and say this makes any any version of the story would need to have these basic elements. Right. And I think that you could make that argument for like the the Bond, uh, the new version of Bond that honors some basic elements from the original story, but modifies things. Okay, so that's another original one. Original Batman thing. We're going to do noir, um, but then and we're going to do adaptations. I think there are some that, like... Because there are actually a couple that I actually like the movie versions better than the books. Mm-hmm. Like, I like Sense and Sensibility of the movie better than I do the book. Uh-huh. I like the Three Musketeers movie better than I like the book. Okay, yeah. But, I, you know, like, there but are there's, a few. There's things that, by the virtue of having it in a film... It, it didn't need to honor certain elements right. there were certain and, elements and might actually, you can say that it improved upon this story in certain ways. Right. By but being there were still other film. things that I say, like, cause I've seen a couple versions of the three Musketeers now that it has to have in there in mm. order to honor that book. Right. That you don't like necessarily right. from like the, I don't know if it's 2015. I'm just Whatever pulling that was, out of my hat. Um, so terrible. But I, mean, uh, I wish there were more movies with, with airships in them, but yeah, <laughs> But I'm not. That terrible. Not that one. But I won't do that with the meatloaf line. I'll do anything for Steve. <laughs> Shut up! Won't you? But I won't do that. Um, and and uh, the uh, another reference I, I always hear about Lord of the Rings is that like screw Tom Bombadil. Yeah. You don't need no, him no, in that movie. They didn't even need him in the book. Yeah, you don't even really need. He has no 
you know, bearing on any of the rest of the story. Um, but it matters if you'd like. I'll be interested though. I think that there's an upcoming Lord of the Rings um, series. I think coming. It might have bounced around now with the rights, uh-huh. depending on who was willing to pay for it. But I think doing that in a series might actually improve. Uh, like I think Peter Jackson did a great job, but yeah. improve on some of the things. I thought they were doing the Silverlight as a series. They're not. Oh, I didn't. I didn't hear that. Oh, okay, I wasn't. I didn't know. I heard. I heard that it was a Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings okay. thing. But it, who knows? But it might have been that the reporter didn't, didn't know. know. They just so, know that it was like, a Lord oh, of the Rings. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now I'm going to talk about Walter White because he's, uh, he's John's favorite. One of my favorite. Uh, Breaking Bad's one of my favorite shows. He's John's anti-hero. Yeah, and and uh, his is so interesting because it's um, that it because it's a series isn't going to how series improve stories. The idea of this is this character at the beginning of the story, this is the character at the end of the story, and actually watching them change over the course of that time, um, uh, like. It's one of the best versions of that that I've ever experienced um, because you're, he's this dorky chemistry teacher, family person who becomes a drug kingpin who most people hate, but who through his gumption gets what he wants. And so at the end of the story, you have to think about, you know, what, what parts of him uh, are worth respecting and, and what things has he done right um, and what has he done to destroy his life, basically? Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that um, Vince Gilligan, in addition to really doing a great show where cinematography is excellent, all the actors really are shining in every episode, um, creates a, a character that is both evil <laughs> and increasingly evil as the series goes on, and... Um, is really pushing the story forward each episode. Um, and it heavily influenced my character uh, in, and I'll talk a little bit about um, Cain and Abel, my premier novel is uh, about somebody who has uh, a muscle disease and he's obsessed with trying to um, cure it. And um, I think that's one big thing in Breaking Bad is that uh he, he says that he has all these good intentions. Partway through the series, you find out that um, even though he says he's making mess for money, um, you find out that he, this person that backstabbed him and his past was willing to pay for his cancer treatments, and he rejects it. And so that's the start of realizing he has more demons in his past. Um, so that really influenced my writing of Cain and Abel because... Um, I kind of had the seeds of wanting to write about um, my own uh, a very emotional story that takes the bitterness of having somebody uh, um, like a, a, a character who is um, very traditionally um, that what you would think of as the hero, this very capable character and then this very incapable character. Um, but through watching Breaking Bad, I thought, you know, if I really get people emotionally attached to this person and use that underdog sympathy and then do the same sort of thing, it might having this tragic arc. And I, I guess that's the biggest thing I would say is that it's a very tragic hero, classical, like Shakespearean tragic yeah. hero yeah. type arc. 
um, and uh, uh, I only have uh, Sawyer from oh, Lost. Sawyer. Uh, which another one I think just like so like night from the little chemistry that Jack and Kate have in that show. Blech. Sawyer just usurps it like a like a dwarf son. <laughs> like, he just eats it up. Um, and I think Josh Holloway just kind of makes that character. Yeah, I don't know if with any other all... with any other character it might come across as just a, a douche. <laughs> right. No, but he made it like so appealing. Yeah. I don't even know how to. I don't yeah. want to get started because yeah. upset with me. Um, the Mentalist and House, I kind of put in the same character, in the oh, same house. genre. Yeah. House House is very much an anti-hero because he's a jerk all the way. Yeah, um, but uh, Matt ruined that for me because there was a whole rash of um, bumbling sidekicks and intelligent jerks, and he was saying like they're just taking the Sherlock and Watson yeah, thing, basically. and they're just saying like this is a unconventional it's like it's like unconventional genius and their sidekick and so in house he has this yeah, friend yeah um and uh the, the the mentalist i think changed a little bit as it continued i think the first episode a lot of people like us i think were really drawn by this character that has this these demons in his past but it kind of became very generic and, yeah. and followed more that mold of this woman who is just kind of like, I have to explain that there's this psychic that's, uh, you know, helping right. us along. Um, I think Castle is probably the best example of doing that right. Yeah. Because Nathan Fillion carried right. that. Nathan Fillion's <laughs> awesome. Uh, but, um... Oh, sorry, you done? Oh, yeah, well, uh, unless you have something else to add. <laughs> no, I was going to talk a little bit more about writing in general and how difficult these things are to write. Oh, well, I guess I'll just say Raylan Gibbons is the same thing. He's oh, charming yeah, yeah. as all get out. Yes. <laughs> and even though if he does something that's like bending the rules. Yeah, you're like, I don't care. Like like, anyway. Yeah. He he made me believe in uh westerns again. Yes. Because <laughs> it's just he's this is a from Justified. For those of you who have not watched it, shame on you. Go watch Justified. Yes. <laughs> all available on Amazon. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so we wanted to start trying to bring writing back writing into the podcast. <laughs> I'm bringing writing back. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and uh, either, not really give advice because it's not like we're published authors, although John mm -hmm. is self-published, which is awesome. Um, but just to kind of discuss it and see if anybody else wanted to discuss it. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think it has to be incredibly hard to write a really good anti-hero. Mm -hmm. You know, making someone do terrible things in your book but still make him likable. Mm -hmm. Especially considering I've read a lot of books now where even the person who's supposed to be a regular hero is not likable <laughs> at all. Right. Um, so trying to get one that's, that's troublesome that you like is even harder. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you would consider the iron sorcerer an anti-hero or if she's well, so, like uh, a trouble uh, we, hero. I've, I don't know where I, I might've put this in the marketing copy for it, but she is like lawful uh, neutral. Yes, I would say at the moment on that D and D scale. Um, but I think that the the fact that it's it's much more action focused as Melissa is also working on another one uh, right now. It's a secret. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll talk <laughs> about it during Nano Remo next. Month. Yeah. Yes. Um, but uh, I, as it's more action focused than that, I. I 
I, um, when we were talking about the inception of it, I compared it more to like the priest thing because it's like, this is an action hero. Yeah. And because you're not getting into her thoughts, it's very much this like stoic Hemingway is like, just like, I don't like you're getting from the writing style and from other characters reactions to this character, more of what they're like. Um, but the, she hasn't really done anything evil necessarily. No. Just kind of her, you get that she's more neutral because she has an objective that isn't like, let's save everybody right. from things. It's just, I need to she, get she's thing. kind of put in situations maybe where she has to do helpful things. Right. Um, <laughs> it's like, oh, I guess I'll do this. Yeah. But, um, but that, yeah, it's more in that gray area, but not, um, not, not sh- what I've say, been trying to think about and, and talk about is like there's schlock that you can do well but you have to realize that you're doing something schlocky and realize that you're not writing something that's that's having way in right. and stuff like yeah, that yeah. like if you there there's certain behavior like I was saying with Parker where if you're just being disgusting yeah then somebody needs you need somebody else's opinion of your thing if you're gonna have somebody that's a like uh, my friend is working on a vampire uh, comic, and uh, he was having me read it, but he was trying to get uh, a couple people's opinions of it because with that type of story, you could think that oh, people are going to immediately sympathize with this character, but because they're going through this transformation, and even though they're doing some weird things, you know, this is just the genre, but you need some help. You yeah. need somebody. You need to talk to somebody about Someone your story outside of your head. Uh, because you know it's it's benefit at least so that you can tell and that that's another thing that I've uh, that has been helpful with me as a writer is thinking about like I have this goal I'm trying to communicate this if I'm not if that's not working if I think I'm writing a dark comedy and somebody says this isn't funny yeah. <laughs> or this is and, and this is I've, I've done this I paid to get my a script uh, edited and I said like this is what I'm that was part of her. Uh, listening actually was tell me like what your the premise is tell me what you're going for and then she said like that not all the jokes are landing and i like the characters but they're not this is not as dark as you think it is and that was helpful for me because i realized either i can keep going the way this is and not make it a dark comedy or i can realize like oh i need to ratchet this up to make this character more despicable um so yeah it's it's a difficult thing and it's one of the many things that as going through writing a character, you need some kind of reference point, even if it is looking at other people's art and, and writing and seeing, you know, where, where the barometer is. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, a little bit of a long one, but we, uh, we wanted to have, we we wanted to, uh, at least I wanted to go through some of these things and see where we were in terms of what we want to talk about more. It looks like we want to get into noir. Yeah. And um revenge stuff, definitely. Yes. Um and also tune in next time where uh I don't know what we're gonna do, but oh, you'll I find out soon. I don't think I still have it up though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't. Okay. Well, we, we I will, thought we were doing, we we were doing the classic suspense. horror stuff next, I think. Oh, okay, yeah. We're, we're, we're going to watch Abbott and Costello meet something. 
I mean, I, th- I think it's the Wolfman. Okay. Because that has all of the three, all three of the, the classic movies. Universal monsters. Yes. Um, and well, it's also look just into, I want to look funny. into why each of them is the classic Universal monster. It's an important question. Oh, <laughs> yes. That uh, and stay more. tuned for later in the month because I finally get to go see a submarine movie. They do not make enough of those. Okay, we're going to cut her off. <laughs> Talk about submarine <laughs> movies and Halloween. Anyway, um, but yeah, if you want to write in about either of those episodes... You can write into Unboxing Story Podcast at gmail.com and you can support us at patreon.com slash unboxing. No. no. Out, think, think outside, outside the box. box. Um, no, no, no exclamation point. Um, to support our writing and for a better show. So thank you and good night. Thank you. Good night. Introducing Cain and Abel, the first part of the Seven Deadly Sins series. A handicapped boy wants to cure his own muscle disease, but a rivalry turns his ambitions into obsessions. The ending had a perfect feeling of unease and suspense. It basically felt the same way as when I finished watching Psycho for the first time. Megan Pegasus, Booktuber, Reviewer. Dennis Kane has a pretty average near-death experience. White light, crisis of faith, family bonding, don't forget delusions of grandeur. Plenty of those. After a surgery gone wrong leaves him bedridden, Dennis isn't satisfied with just regaining his strength. His harrowing journey of rehabilitation is just the beginning, as he seeks to cure his own muscle weakness, impress the girl of his dreams, and destroy his childhood bully. You know, your average delusions of grandeur. Experience the first chapter in a companion series based on the seven deadly sins. Each tale will investigate the horrors of human error across history and contrasts our corruption with the power of the gospel.